It is impossible to understand the current Israeli-Palestinian conflict without knowing Israel's history and her prophesied future. A Palestinian can kill a Jew in the West Bank, and if the settlers retaliate, the international community will immediately seek to reprimand the Jews. Did you ever wonder why? Where does this end? Well, the story begins thousands of years ago and continues in the headlines every day. And we will focus on Israel's true narrative on this edition of The End Time Show. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Dave Robbins with End Time Ministries. Thank you so much for joining me on this edition of the End Time Show. We're continuing. This is day two of Israel. And because so many it's it's in it's dominating our headlines every day. We have to talk about it. I know I get captivated sometimes on uh, world religion, the world government, the, the central bank digital currencies, and we get so wrapped up in that. But the majority of Bible prophecy centers around this little nation that sits over there on the Mediterranean Sea. So we need to make sure we understand because there are so many false narratives that you're being taught. This is the false narrative. Let me just bring it up. This false narrative that you are being fed every day in the liberal news media and the international community. But we want to make sure you have the right mindset towards Israel in the end time. The Jewish News Syndicate reported that uh, Israel last felt the sting of this betrayal by its ally, the United States, six years ago, back in, what was it, December of 2016, when the Obama administration allowed an anti-Israel United Nations Security Council veto or uh, resolution, it was resolution 2334, to pass without our routine U.S. veto, U.S. Security Council veto power that we've used for decades now, 40 times I think since the 70s, over 40 times, to protect Israel. But under the Obama administration, we did not veto that, and now it is against the law, international law, uh, for Israel to inhabit East Jerusalem and the West Bank. That 2016 resolution, it stated, and I, I should say it stated falsely, just because it's international law doesn't mean it's right. It stated that Israel's expansion of the settlements represents a flagrant violation of international law. And it exhorted Israel immediately to cease all settlement activity in the occupied Palestinian territories, including East Jerusalem, which is where the Temple Mount is, where the Holy Basin is, you understand. So now the Biden administration, what happened just a, I don't know, a week or two ago, they heaped insult upon injury by actively supporting a new UN Security Council statement that expressed um, these expressing members deep concern and dismay over Israel's recent announcement regarding the construction of more homes in... Now, this is one of the things I want you to understand. They say in the occupied Palestinian territory. It is not occupied by the Jews. It's disputed territory because it doesn't belong to the Palestinians either. Okay? 
And so we need to make sure we understand really what's going on here. And we're going to get to that. I'm, I'm doing two, three programs here on this whole topic to make sure you understand this is an absolute false narrative. It is not occupied. It is disputed. And it also reaffirmed, this document reaffirmed that it's unwavering commitment, the United States, to a two-state solution, which is anti-Bible, you understand. Everybody thinks, well, hey, the two-state solution, we'll get a peace agreement signed and we're off to the races. It's anti-Bible. Now, it is going to happen. Israel is going to trade land for peace, but that is not God's will. It is God's will that the prophecies happen, but God told them, don't you sign any agreements or covenants with the, um, with the enemy that's in the land, didn't he? But Israel's going to do that. So this agreement is claiming that Israel's settlement activity endangers its viability. The United States allowed this, agreed with this. So, while such UN resolutions are not legally binding, they are certainly intended to cast an aura of pariah status over the Jewish state. Well, now I'm talking about a false narrative here. The, and, and I should say anybody who supports a two-state solution that's diametrically opposed to the Word of God. The United States should not do that. The Palestine Chronicle, listen at this. The UN chief, Antonio Guterres, he said that Palestinians are living in a literal hell under Israeli occupation. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres said in an interview, uh, I think it was last Saturday, that the Palestinians are living in horrible situations. He said a living hell under prolonged Israeli occupation where they have been subjected to decades of long violence and human rights violations, the New Arab reported. Now, he's not talking about anything that the Palestinians have done to the Jews. He is giving, he's the leader of the United Nations, folks. And in this article, he hammers down on the Jewish settlers. Guterres goes on to comment that after days after the illegal Jewish settlers, notice, <clears throat> he calls them illegal Jewish settlers. They're not illegal. In the eyes of the international community they are, but in the eyes of God they're not. That these individuals carried out a rampage in the occupied West Bank town of Hawara, you've heard about it in the news lately, where they torched cars, vandalized properties in a bid to seek revenge. Now, listen at this. So he talks about this is illegal what they're doing, and they stormed this town of Hawara, and they torched and vandalized vehicles. But what happened is they were retaliating for the killing of two Israelis and one Israel-American last week. So they went in and retaliated for that. But Antonio Guterres, the Secretary General of the United Nations, he's demonizing the Jews, these Jewish settlers living out there, and not the Palestinians for that. One Palestinian man that in this article says was killed and hundreds more injured in the violence, which through international condemnation, including from the United States, against the Jewish settlers, everybody. The UN Secretary General stressed that Palestinian people are currently subjected to great levels of suffering, both in the quote-unquote, he says occupied, I say disputed, territories and the besieged Gaza, Gaza Strip. 
Guterres also added that the international community must move strongly to ensure that international law is respected, but he acknowledged that, that the United Nations is not able to implement these United Nations resolutions like 2334 because international governance is in need of reforms in some areas. He wants to be able to dictate to the people in the Palestinian uh, region of the West Bank and to the Jewish, Jewish settlers that are out there. But he's saying right now we can't enforce these resolutions. But I'm telling you there's coming a time in the near future when that in fact will happen and that's going to be the Battle of Armageddon. And so we'll talk about it more when we get back from the break. But I'm going to give you the true Jewish narrative when we get back. They that understand what is taking place will instruct many. Except a man is born again, he can enter or see the kingdom of God. I don't care what label you've been given or what label you've given yourself, you are essential. You still matter. This is a journey, and when we get to the other side of that, that's where our prize is, that's where our reward is. End time is not going anywhere. Satan and the elites of this world don't want you to understand the timeline leading to the second coming of Jesus. You can pinpoint where we are in the end time, understand how you fit in, and be filled with hope in God's plan by watching the future according to Bible prophecy. Go to endtime.com future or call 800-END-TIME. That's 800-363-8463. What if you could understand Bible prophecy? Dave Robbins, the host of the End of the Age television and radio programs, is holding a free prophecy conference near you. Gain peace and understanding about what the Bible says concerning end time prophecy. Call 1-800-END-TIME or visit endtime.com slash events for more information. Now, as I go through here and I give you the true Israeli narrative, scripturally, we're going to go through all the, we're going to go through the story here yesterday, today, and then we'll probably get off into it again next week. But I want you to understand that I am not, I don't hate the Palestinians. I have Palestinian friends that live in Bethlehem, out in the West Bank, and they're, they're great people. But it's the false narrative that the international community, the Palestinian government, and many people around the world try to get you to feed on and to try this. It's just a false narrative about this region over here. Whereas I want you to understand the true Israeli narrative that's going on there because 
if uh, many people want to understand what's going on with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, what, is it ever going to end? What in the world's going on? What's going on with the Israeli government and, and out in uh, Ramallah with Abbas? And you can't, un, you cannot understand this unless you understand the history of Israel, who owns the land, what happened to the land up to this point, what happened to it up until 1948, up until 1967, what's the current situation right now, how did all that come to be? Because the United Nations, the international community, wants to you to understand that they are illegally living there, and they absolutely are not. And if you're going to support Israel in the future and support our efforts out in the West Bank, you need to understand the truth about this narrative here. So, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict in East Jerusalem or Judea Samaria, uh, biblically, or the modern-day West Bank, it dominates the headlines every day. The West Bank is just over a third of that. And, but what do the Palestinians really want? What, what, are, they, what, what are they fighting for? Um, why are they fighting for a, east, a capital in East Jerusalem? Why do they believe it belongs to them? Why are they killing Jews? That's what happened in Huara just a week ago. Why does the United Nations view Israel's presence in the territories liberated from Jordanian occupation back in the 67 Six Days War, including East Jerusalem, as this flagrant violation of international law, setting the stage for the Battle of Armageddon? You understand what the UN Security Council Resolution 2334 that was allowed to pass in the lame duck session between, between when Obama was going out of office Donald Trump had been elected, but he was not inaugurated yet. In that lame duck session, it was right there like December 23rd of 2016, right before Christmas, they allowed this resolution to pass. You understand those types of resolutions, we call that one the Armageddon resolution. When they go to enforce that resolution, that's going to be the Battle of Armageddon. Now, Antonio Guterres said, we can't enforce these resolutions now because we need to reform international, uh, the United Nations and world government. That's exactly what's going to happen. He's telling you his true intentions. So the international community, United Nations, and the Arab world, even our current administration in Washington, does not want you to pay any attention to Israel's history written in Scripture because it does not align with the two-state solution narrative. But I want you to never forget, what's going on in Israel right now is a spiritual battle that will culminate at the final battle on earth, the Battle of Armageddon. We're watching all of this play out in our headlines every day. And so, again, I've had many people email me or comment or ask us questions. What about this Israeli-Palestinian conflict? It's impossible to understand that without knowing Israel's history. So, I want to do a quick review of yesterday's program, and then we'll, um, we're going to plow through a ton of material, and I'll get through as much as we can. So that way, because you, ne you may never have been told this story before. And if you haven't, oh, what a rich, uh, fulfilling story that it is, and it helps. it's going to open your eyes to what's going on in the Middle East and really why we support Israel so much. Originally, this was back in the book of Genesis, God promised Abraham the promised land from the river in Egypt all the way up to the Euphrates River. 
He made a covenant with Abraham and his lineage, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. Jacob had 12 sons who eventually became known as the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. And this was the beginning of the nation of Israel. A thousand years later, David was born. Uh, later became King David. He became uh, obviously a prominent figure in the plan of God in, the, in Jewish history. Uh, he was the second king of Israel. He was the man after God's own heart. We talked about that yesterday. He was a giant killer. He killed Goliath. Uh, a great deliverer of the people of Israel. Well, over time, under his, in, his, in his reign, I should say, because of the backslidden state of Israel, God caused David to number the people, and as a result, God sent a pestilence that killed 70,000 people. Well, this is where we're going to pick it up here, and we're going to continue on with this Israeli narrative. If you missed yesterday's program, I would encourage you, go to endtime.com, go under the um, archived, uh, where you can watch, in the archive section, watch yesterday's program, and then today will be a continuing of that narrative. And then uh, Doug and Vince will be with you tomorrow and Friday. I'm going to be going up to Jim Baker's to be on his program on Friday. And then I'll be back next week and we'll continue on with the narrative until we're done because it's really one of the most important topics we can talk about, folks. We've got to support Israel in the end time. Not everything Israel does is perfect, but we support the nation because God told Abraham, I will bless them that bless you. I will curse them that curse you. And so we want to bless Israel, not plant trees and do stuff like that, but we want to help the people of Israel in the future. And that's the most important thing. So, David, this pestilence had come on the people and killed 70,000 people in Israel. Well, David asked God to stop the pestilence. And in 2 Samuel 24, 18... It says, and the prophet Gad came that day to David and said unto him, here's what you're going to do to stop the plague. God's want me to tell you, go up, rear up an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. Well, of course, David went, bought the threshing floor of Arana for, and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. This threshing floor that belonged to Arana is the same place as Mount Moriah and where the Temple Mount is located today. You see it. Go look at it. It's very recognizable. When you see the gold dome of the, of the Dome of the Rock, that's, where, that's the Temple Mount. That's where David bought the threshing for Verona. It's the same place Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac. God specifically chose that place to put His name there. So, when people today... Say, oh no, the, the Arabs own that, or the, um, the, the Christians own that. No, no. There's currently a dispute over who owns the Temple Mount. The, the Muslims claim ownership. The Jews say that they own it. The, and the Catholic Church and Christianity sometimes say it belongs to them, believe it or not. But according to 2 Samuel 24, 24, this same place where the Temple Mount is located was purchased by King David to use as a place to offer a sacrifice so that God would stay the plague against the people of Israel. So it's irrelevant what the international community says or the Arab community says. Israel owns that property. 
the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that lineage. Now, 2 Chronicles 3.1. You understand the, the story here. Solomon, the son of David, began to build the first temple on the Temple Mount. God didn't allow David to build the temple because he had killed too many people. He had blood on his hands. In 2 Chronicles 3.1, it says, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared unto David his father, in the place that David had prepared, in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Ornan, Arana, same thing. This is the same specific mountain where God sent Abraham to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice a thousand years prior to that. 1 Kings um, 9, 1-3 says, And it came to pass when Solomon had finished the building of the house of the Lord, the king's house and the king's house, and all Solomon's desire, which he had pleased to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time, as he had appeared unto him at Gibeon. And the Lord said unto him, I've heard thy prayer and thy supplication that thou hast made before me. I've allowed thy, this house which thou hast built, to put my name there forever, and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. Now, God said, I'll put my name there forever. I want you to remember that when you hear people in the news right now disputing over who owns the Temple Mount and who has a rightful, should have rightful um, ownership of that land there. It's the Jews, folks. It's the Israelites through the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God gave that to them. God said, I will put my name there forever. Okay? Now, Jerusalem, it's just a, it's a small and insignificant city. And yet, there have been more wars. There have been about, I think, 40 major wars that have been fought over Jerusalem more than any other city on the face of the earth, folks. Why do you think that is? It's not really important militarily, economically, or, or really an, a, a great, just unbelievably agricultural area. But every world leader has to go to this little city, Jerusalem. Why is that? Because God said He would put His name there. And it's as if when He said, I'll put my name there, that Satan said, well, if you want your name there, that's where I want to set up my... Uh, headquarters, and I'm going to fight you for it tooth and toenail ever since. And people have been fighting over that little city ever since, folks. And it's over those 35 acres, the Temple Mount, where the Battle of Armageddon will be fought. It is the most disputed real estate on the entire planet. Nobody listening to me, nor anybody, Elon Musk, couldn't begin to scratch the surface of the value of that 35 acres. There's no price you could put on that. So far, in these lessons here that we're talking about, we've learned about Abraham's special calling, his promise of the promised land, the promised seed, the covenant between God and Abraham that is still in effect today. That's why I really don't pay any attention to the international community and, oh, this is a, it's illegal in the eyes of the international law. No, I, I don't. I'm concerned about what God's concerned about. That's what I'm worried about. I want to make sure I'm, God is pleased with what I'm doing. I will never support Israel dividing, giving away promised land for peace. It's never going to work. So God chose Mount Moriah, the Temple Mount, 
as the place where he would put his name forever. Not just for 10 years. God still has his name there. It's very sacred. Now, we will... I'm going to examine the destruction of the first temple and learn about Israel's first exile. The 70 years foretold by the prophet Jeremiah. If you want to read about it, go to the book of Jeremiah. You can read all about it. We will also, um, over the next little while here, we're going to discover the supernatural events that took place and enabled the building of the second temple. Finally, we're going to learn about the destruction of the second temple and the beginning of the second exile. And then we'll bring it back to when Israel was brought back into the land and how we got to the point where we're at now. And I'm telling you, when we're done with these discussions, you're going to say, oh my goodness, I finally understand what's really going on in Israel. Because pe people want to know what's going on with the new Israeli government. What's going on with all this, um, with, what are they going to do in the West Bank? Uh, what about the Abraham Accords? What about all the, I'm telling you, it all centers around what's going to happen between Israel and the Palestinians. That's what people want to know about. This big conflict. It's why Donald Trump went and spent all this time in Saudi Arabia and all that, the Abraham Accords, all that really centers around, yes, Israel's normalization with Arab nations and things like that. But until they get the Israeli-Palestinian thing worked out, none of that stuff really even matters. It really doesn't. Because they're still fighting this crazy battle between these people that live right there next door to them. So what's it all about? Well, by the time we're done with these, you're going to understand. Now, when Solomon finished building the beautiful, the, the first temple on the Temple Mount, Mount Moriah, he prayed a dedicatorial prayer to the Lord. He asked God to hear his prayer, uh, hear the, the, the people's prayer, and gather them again. If they are scattered throughout the world because of disobedience, uh, rebellion, idolatry, if God had to exile them, if in their captivity and exile that they would repent and turn their face towards that place, that God would hear their prayer. And after he finished praying, Solomon offered a sacrifice on the altar. Well, the Bible says when he did that, fire supernaturally came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. And the, the glory of the Lord filled the house so much that the priest could not even minister. When the children of Israel saw this fire fall and the glory of the Lord, they put their foreheads to the pavement and they bowed and they worshiped and they magnified God. I mean, what would you do? I'd do the exact same thing if I was back in that day. The nation of Israel. Now, this is something you want to make sure of because the Bible says that the false prophet in the future will call fire down from heaven. There will be a lot of people that will bow down as a result of that, but not me because I understand the prophecies of the Bible. And if you understand the prophecies of the Bible and you understand the Bible, then you can discern between a true prophet and a miracle and a false prophet and a miracle. So it's so important that we understand all of these narratives and we understand the truth of the Word of God. We're led by the Spirit of God so that we're not captivated by some of these things that will happen in the near future. And that's why it's important that we spend time on these things. So, okay, get back to it on after break. The symbols and prophecies within the book of Revelation have perplexed Christians and unbelievers around the world. In his final work, Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ part two, 
the late Irvin Baxter unlocks the mystery of the book of Revelation with in-depth analysis and commentary like you've never heard before. These comprehensive study tools, available for $299, will deepen your biblical understanding. Don't miss this special offer. Call 1-800-END-TIME or go to endtime.com. Hi, I'm Judy Baxter. When Irvin and I got married, we didn't realize that our calling would be a prophetic ministry. Since we started End Time Ministries, there have been many times we weren't sure how we would pay the bills, but God has always provided. We started with the magazine, then went on radio and TV, and now we have the Jerusalem Prophecy College in Israel and online and End of the Age Plus. The mission has always been to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the End Time message. Through the years, my husband would say, we will see revival like never before in the last days. We are living in the end time now. Thank you for walking this journey with us and continuing in prayer. You are a part of the team. Thank you for your generous support. It is necessary for God's purpose. The most important thing is that you are ready when the Lord comes. Our hope is to help prepare you for that day. God bless you and we love you. So do, do you get the, the, the feeling of the importance and the miraculous event that happened back then when Solomon built the first temple and God miraculously came down and His presence was there. The fire came down, consumed the sacrifice and it filled, God's presence filled the temple. Well... The nation of Israel has never forgotten about that event. To this day, they continue to think about building the third temple. The Jewish people believe that when they dedicate the third temple, the glory of God will come again and the fire of God will fall again as a sign of God's approval on what they have done. The temple mount and the temple are the center of Jewish life. So for somebody... For, for an Arab entity to say, oh, we, we, that's ours. I mean, come on. You guys know better than that. If you understand the Bible at all, the Temple Mount is Israel's. It doesn't matter whether the international community says it's illegal. That's irrelevant. It is the heart and soul of the Jewish nation. It is the center of their worship to the Lord, folks. And to say that, no, no Jews can come up here during Ramadan. Who are they to tell them that they can't come up there? It's a total false narrative. Even with an overwhelming amount of archaeological, historical, and biblical evidence proving otherwise, more and more people deny the first and second temples ever stood on the Temple Mount. And this is something that you will be fed in the news there are people coming out with videos and things that say, oh no, the temple was built down in the city of David, south of the Temple Mount. But folks, you and I both know that the temples were built up on the Temple Mount. God specifically chose the place for them. And they were, it was not in the city of David. How do we know Solomon did not build the first temple in the city of David like some claim? Well, the, we go back to the Bible. The Bible reveals the exact location 
of Solomon's temple. Let's go to um, 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 1 through 2. Scripture says, Thus all the work that Solomon made for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in all the things that David his father had dedicated, and the silver and the gold and all the instruments put he among the treasures of the house of God. Then Solomon assembled the, the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief of the fathers of the children of Israel unto Jerusalem, here it is, listen closely, to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. If the temple was built in the city of David, why did they bring the, temp the ark of the covenant out of the city of David up to the house of the Lord that Solomon built? In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 1-4, through 4, it states, Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief of the fathers of the children of Israel, unto King Solomon in Jerusalem, that they might bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto King Solomon at the feast in the month of Ithanim, which is the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came and the priests took up the ark and they brought up the ark of the Lord and the tabernacle of the congregation and all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle, even those did the priest and the Levites bring up. So when Solomon finishes the first temple, located up on the temple mount, Solomon gathered the elders of Israel and the priests to bring the ark of the covenant out of the city of David up to the house of the Lord. Have you ever been to Israel? I know many of you have been with us to Israel. I'll mention it again. We're going uh, just in another couple months, May 17th to the 28th. The last time to sign up would be August the 4th. My wife has to actually turn in the names on August, or I'm sorry, April the 4th. And so uh, if you want to go with us, you need to put your name in like very quickly. But for those of you that have been to Israel with us, the Temple Mount is north of the city of David and it is a much higher elevation. The city of David is built on the slope south of that. So doesn't the Bible tell us that they ascended up to the house of the Lord? The Bible says, And when the queen of Sheba had seen all of Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built and the meat of his table and the sitting of his servants and the attendance of his ministers and their apparel and his cupbearers, and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. That's 1 Kings 10, 44, 10, 1 Kings 10, 4 through 5. The Bible also says in 2 Kings 19, 14, And Hezekiah received the letters of the hands of the messengers and read it, and Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before God. So, Second um, Chronicles 29-20 uh, Then Hezekiah the king rose early, gathered the rulers of the city, and went up to the house of the Lord. So from these scriptures, we know the first temple was not built in the city of David. It was built at a much higher elevation up on Mount Moriah, which is now referred to as the Temple Mount. And if you've been to Israel, you've seen it. When we go to Israel... We go to the city of David, we stand on the steps going up to the Temple Mount, the southern steps. 
we go up on the Temple Mount. You, it's as plain as day, you guys. The temples were built up on the Temple Mount. God warned Israel early on what would happen if they were disobedient. In 1 Kings 9, 6-7, God said, But if ye shall all turn from following me, ye or your children, and will not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them, and this house, this temple that Solomon has built, which I have hallowed for my name, which I cast out of my, will I cast out of my sight, and Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all the people. So God's saying, even if I have this sacred place where I will put my name, if you don't serve me and, and obey my commandments, then I'm going to exile you. Why did God drive Israel into exile? Because that happened during the reign of Solomon, didn't it? Well, they were driven into exile because they forsook the Lord. 1 Kings 9, 8-9 says, And at this house, which is high, everyone that passeth by it shall be astonished, and shall hiss. And they shall say, Why hath the Lord done this unto this land, and to this house? And they shall answer, Because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought forth their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and have taken hold upon their gods, upon other gods, and have worshipped them and served them, therefore hath the Lord brought up them um, upon them all of this evil. He's going to exile them. This shows how God has dealt with Israel throughout time. The first temple era ended at the first exile. The second temple end, era ended at the second exile. And today, we are in the third temple era. Now, Solomon built the first temple and completed it in 968 B.C. It stood for about 400 years. At the end of the first temple era, Israel was in a horrible state of backsliding, and finally, God decided to deal with their behavior. He drove them into exile to encourage their repentance. And the Bible says today that God will, God will um, chastise some with backsliding. And it's, it's uncomfortable, but God, in, if in God's um, efforts to get people to repent, sometimes He's got to allow them to go out and go through some stuff. I, I have been a recipient of that, and that is not fun. I had, God had some things, pride and a lot of different things He had to work out of me. So I'm telling you what, I went out into the world and done some stupid things, and oh my goodness, when I came back, I had to look up to see bottom. And so, God can do that to people today, just like He did Israel. You understand, in the Old New Testament, Israel went through some physical things that sometimes we have to go through spiritual in 2023. Look at the correlation of all of this, and you can, it helps you understand the Word of God. So God sent the prophet Jeremiah to them and he prophesied that God was going to send the king of Babylon to invade the land of Israel and that the children of Israel would be carried away into captivity for 70 years. And that's exactly what happened. Nebuchadnezzar invaded Israel around uh, 606 B.C. 
And that's when Daniel, the three Hebrew children, uh, who believed the prophet Jeremiah, they went with the king of Babylon because um, the message from Jeremiah was, if when, I, when the Lord sends you into judgment and you go down in willingly and cooperate with it, and you go, go without resistance into the land of Babylon, that I will bless you in your captivity. And, and that's exactly what happened. Look at Daniel, and, and he, was, he was very high up in the king. He was an advisor to the king. So God can bless us wherever we are as long as we walk with Him. If the entire nation is under judgment, it doesn't mean that those of us who are obedient to God have to be under judgment. So uh, we can be blessed even in the midst of judgment. Consider a, the current administration in Washington, how they're very um, pro-LGBTQ, pro-abortion, uh, pro-all these horrible um, false narratives and lies and agendas and different horrible things that are going on in Washington, D.C. Well, God's got a way of judging those people without judging those that are in the land that are obedient to Him. Okay? It's very important that we understand this because a, a lot of people are sitting around biting their nails saying, man, God's going to judge America. God could judge America. But it does not mean He will judge those individuals that are obedient to Him as well. God's got a way of separating that. And there are accounts of that throughout the Bible. We'll talk about that maybe sometime in the future. But Zedekiah, the king of Israel at this time, he resisted what Jeremiah preached. And the Bible says that those who resisted would be destroyed. Because Zedekiah, because of his resistance, Nebuchadnezzar Zedekiah's, um, took Zedekiah's sons in front of him and killed them, and then put Zedekiah's eyes out and carried him away into Babylonian captivity. And while Zedekiah was blinded and imprisoned, Daniel and the three Hebrew children were given favor because they went willingly, just like the prophet had told them to do. And though Israel had been taken into captivity, not, not hearing God's word, Daniel and the three Hebrew children ended up ruling from high positions because they obeyed what God had said through Jeremiah. So the 70 years of exile began at this first invasion from Nebuchadnezzar in 606 B.C. Zedekiah fought against, Nebuchadnezzar, against him and Nebuchadnezzar came back, destroyed the temple in 586 B.C. And by this time, Daniel and the three Hebrew children were already in Babylonian captivity God was fulfilling His promise to them. And Daniel was known in Babylon for his consecration to God. And that's really what got him put in the lion's den before it was all over with, but that was part of God's plan to get them to come up out of Babylonian captivity. So there's a lot that goes into this, and but I'm trying to help you understand the true Israeli narrative in what's happening today between the Israelis and the Palestinians. I've been part of the End Time family from the beginning over 30 years ago when my parents, Irvin and Judy Baxter, began the ministry from the recliner in our living room. My name is Jana Robbins. I have the pleasure of connecting with our incredible partners every day. End Time is a small nonprofit that runs a high traffic website, a daily TV and radio show, the Prophecy College in Jerusalem, and more. Although we have less than 30 team members, we are able to serve tens of millions of people each month. 
We survive on the goodness of God and donations averaging about $50. If everyone hearing this message gave $22, our financial needs would be met for the year. If you only give to one cause per month, please consider partnering with End Time to help get the message of our soon coming King out to the world. Call us at 1-800-END-TIME to give today or go to endtime.com to become a monthly or one-time partner. Now, it was prophesied by Jeremiah that the Babylonian captivity would last for 70 years. This is the first exile. Right before the end of the 70 years, the kingdom of Babylon was overthrown. That night, uh, the night Babylon was overthrown, the current king, Belshazzar, who was the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, threw a, this big feast. And he took the gold and silver vessels that had been captured by Nebuchadnezzar from the temple in Jerusalem and he used them, these sacred vessels. He had no fear of God whatsoever. Well, oh, at least the God of the Israelites. So God was displeased with his behavior and sent Belshazzar uh, a warning. God, at, at the feast, this God wrote his warning to Belshazzar on the wall with his forefinger. Belshazzar was frightened by this supernatural event and began looking for someone to interpret what the handwriting meant. I mean, you can only imagine that happening to you tonight in your bedroom, okay? You'd be flipping out. I would too, honestly. But Daniel was the only person that the people knew could hear from God. So Daniel came, interpreted the message for Belshazzar and told him that he was weighed in the balance and he was found wanting, and on that night, his kingdom would be divided between the Medes and the Persians. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. That night, the army of the Medes and the Persians invaded and conquered the kingdom of Babylon. So, Babylon ruled the entire world during that day. Uh, but the Medes and the Persians conquered Babylon and became the, the world ruler. Just overnight, boom. And during this takeover, a special thing happened. Because of Daniel's spiritual reputation, his leadership transferred from Babylon into the leadership of the Medes and the Persians. Uh, Darius was king of the Medes. King Cyrus was over the, uh, he was the king of the Persians. And they became co-rulers together. And Daniel worked alongside uh, Darius. And Darius became Daniel's confidant. So here you have a Israelite that is working right alongside with the ruler of the world government, folks. Now you think God doesn't work in mysterious ways because God's going to use that relationship to deliver the people of Israel and allow out of captivity and to go back to their homeland. Now, there were people who wanted Daniel's job in that relationship, there were people that didn't like that. They wanted his job. They wanted to displace him. So because Daniel was a man of integrity, they could not find any fault to use against him. But they knew Daniel prayed three times a day. So they decided to flatter King Darius 
and used this flattery against Daniel. So they created a law that said no one could petition any other god or king except King Darius for 30 days. They told Darius that this would um, let the people know that he was absolutely in control. Well, King Darius was flattered by that and he agreed and he, he um, stamped the new law with the seal of the Medes and Persians which made it impossible even for the king to change. Well, Daniel knew of the decree that it had been signed and sealed. And so that means he should have stopped praying, right? No. Prayer, listen closely, prayer was a matter of life and death to Daniel. Now, some people, some churches have prayer meetings and they got to almost hogtie people to get them to come. That's not the way Daniel looked at it. Daniel saw prayer as a matter of life and death. So when he knew this decree had been uh, sealed by the king, the Bible says that he opened his window and prayed toward Jerusalem like he had always done. And when those desire, who desired to discredit Daniel saw him praying, they immediately told King Darius, well, though Darius was, he was so sorry because he didn't even think about Daniel, because, and he didn't remember Daniel's devotion to God before signing the law into place, King Darius, his only choice was to follow through with the law. So Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. But this was going to be an answer of prayer, folks. So he threw him into the lion's den, and King Darius was so upset by what had transpired that he refused to eat. He, he paced the floor through the night, and he prayed for God to save Daniel. Well, at daybreak, King Darius goes down to the lion's den to find Daniel's fate. Was he, in fact, dinner last night? Or did his God save him? Well, when King Darius called out to Daniel, Daniel answered that the Lord had delivered him from the mouth of the lions. And because of this supernatural event, King Darius began serving God the Almighty One True God continually and made a decree that anyone who made a petition to any other God than Daniel's God, that they would be cast into the lion's den. Now, you tell me that God cannot turn around a world empire with one miraculous event. One night in the lion's den, folks, and the leader of the world empire started serving God Almighty. Daniel's faithfulness to God became the witness that reversed the captivity and set the stage for the rebuilding of the temple. So, no matter what happens, do what's right in the eyes of God. Stand firm on your faith, in, regardless of the circumstances. Folks, listen to me. This is why I do not get rattled by what's going on in Washington. Yes, we talk about it. It is total debauchery. But I don't get rattled because I know that if I'm right, in the eyes of God, all things are working together for my good. The Bible says, all things, For we know that all things work together for good to them who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. So that's, that's where my mindset is. I'm serving God. I'm doing God's will. I'm building God's kingdom. I don't have to worry about Washington. God can take care of Washington tomorrow morning should he choose to. Now, he's allowing things to play out. 
But I'm telling you, God is in control. I'm serving God. And I know who wins this whole thing in the end. So, okay, man, we've got to get back to the lesson because we're never going to get through these things. So, King Cyrus, he was the other ruler of the Medes and the Persians. And in Isaiah 44, 28, it prophesied about Cyrus by name before Cyrus was born. It says, that, thus saith, um, that saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. I've had some people say, oh no, King, King Cyrus um, just said that uh, to give the decree to go back and build the temple. Yeah, it says right here that he said that Jerusalem is going to be built as well as the temple. He said both. It's not one or the other. When the Jews were sent back to build the temple, that was them building Jerusalem as well. So Daniel knew this had been written in God's Word, and he showed it to King Cyrus. And Daniel told Cyrus the story about Jeremiah's prophecy that Israel of Israel's 70 years of exile in Babylon. Well, Cyrus inquired about what year of the captivity that they were currently in and decided that it was time to fulfill the prophecy told of him. And in the 68th year of Israel's captivity, it was, uh, be what, 538 B.C., King Cyrus commanded all who cared about the temple and the house of God in Jerusalem, you guys can go back. So the first wave of the Jews returned in 536 B.C., which was exactly 70 years after the exile began when Daniel and the three Hebrew children were first ca uh, carried away into Babylonian captivity. And during this time, a man named Zerubbabel was raised up by God to lead the effort to rebuild the temple. Uh, is, this would be Israel's second temple. Because the, the task was so great and with so uh, little resources to work with, the prophet Zechariah went to uh, was sent word to deliver a uh, word from God. And Zechariah, in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Zerubbabel's success would not be contingent upon his um, access to a, a lot of money or a large workforce. It would happen because God's spirit was with him. And so, the first decree for the rebuilding of the temple made in 538 B.C. Zerubbabel laid the foundation, and then enemies came along and stopped his ability to continue building for a little while, but the temple was finally completed in, oh man, um, 516... Hey, you guys try to remember all these dates. <laughs> um, 516 B.C. And this marked the beginning of the Second Temple Era. And the, the temple, the second temple, it wasn't really beautiful like Solomon's temple because they didn't really have the resources to build it to the same caliber that Solomon had. He had access to money, just untold wealth. But Herod the Great, who ruled over the Jewish people um, under Rome around 19 B.C., he decided to enlarge the temple and make it more beautiful to earn the favor of the Jewish people. Because of its beauty, people said during that time that he that hath never seen Herod's temple has never seen a beautiful building in his life. 
Herod built the big platform that you see sitting over there in Jerusalem today. That's not the temple. The temple sat up on top of that. That's the big platform that, that was expanded there. So Herod the Great continued to rule and was ruling during the time of Jesus Christ was born. The birth of Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of God's promise to, all the way back to Abraham. God told Abraham, in your seed, singular, the whole world is going to be blessed. So Jesus obviously was the greatest man who ever lived. He, he started the greatest religion, Christianity. More people adhere to Christian beliefs than any other religious beliefs. And he authored the Bible, the book that is the, the bestseller of all other books ever written, God's Word, and the, the, the seed God referred to in His promise to Abraham concerned the Messiah, the Anointed One, Jesus Christ. All the nations of the earth would be blessed through the Messiah. That was the promised seed. God gave Abraham, remember, two promises. The promised land and a promised seed through his lineage. That was Jesus Christ. Now, most historians say that Herod the Great died in 4 B.C. So he would have been alive when Jesus was born. So based on that information, it is believed that Jesus was born around 5 or 6 B.C. And so, man, you can see there's a lot of information here, but until you understand the story, Israel's history, then you'll never understand what's really going on in Israel today. Why is that place so uh, just on everybody's mind in the world of Israel, Israel, Israel? So it's very important. So I'm going to chalk the wheels here. We're going to continue next week. Again, next couple days I'll be up in Branson with Jim Baker and then I'll be back on the program next week. We'll continue on with this study unless something earth-shattering happens in the prophecy world. Doug and Vince will be with you next, uh, next couple days and they'll continue to keep you guys informed on what's going on. They always do such a good job. I want to thank them for helping me out so much and I want to say God bless each and every one of you. I won't talk to you before then, so everybody have a great weekend. Be safe. And let's go build the kingdom of God together. Be an evangelist in these end times. God bless.